The Outlet. The Talk of Queenstown. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour, and this podcast I talk to Anna Dorsey. Now, Anna is the CEO of Headlight. Headlight makes it easy for communities to support their mental well-being so that people can thrive. As it's Mental Health Awareness Week, I talk with Anna about how Headlight started and how they approach community involvement differently with mental health initiatives. Hi Anna, welcome to The Outlet. Hi Brent. Now, can you please tell me how and why you started the Headlight Charitable Trust and what inspired you to focus on mental health? Well, our story starts back in 2020. I was living and working in Queenstown in Arthur's Point. I've been here 13 years now. I was actually working at the time for the Ministry of Health uh, as a senior advisor in the screening unit. Had a great little job three days a week. But when COVID hit, I was really struck by how it was affecting our community. And whilst my work was remote and I was working in my tiny home office during that awful time, I really was drawn to what was happening in our local community. And because of my background in public health, I've been working in public health for about 13 years now, I just knew there was so much more we could be doing to support the well-being of our local community. And I felt that the rest of the country didn't really get it. I think you had to really be here to experience how it felt seeing the impact that the stopping of the tourism economy had on our local people, our huge migrant population, which we rely on heavily. You know, there was a lot of trauma there and a lot of fear. So living here, I just knew that we knew best what our community were going through. This is the background to how I started this long journey, but Headlight began life actually as the Southern Wellbeing Trust. We sprang to life around September 2020. And we started by listening to the community and, and we ran a hui with some other volunteers and we said, what do you need right now? How can we support your well-being? And that hui, we had about 120 people came and I co-wrote the report. And one of the findings was that people wanted help talking about mental health and knowing how to support people around them. So that was a really strong directive that we got from our community. And that was our starting point. And I think that's really important. We didn't just make assumptions. We actually asked for direction. And amazingly, our team, um, who, who at this time were a bunch of volunteers, we all did it unpaid. You know, I did six months full-time unpaid. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just kept going. <laughs> our team just knew we had something we could do here. And um, we identified an existing workplace wellness program that delivered mental health education. And we said, we can bring this into our community. And so we approached them and they, they gave us a license to do this. So that was the beginning of Headlight. And that was nearly three years ago now, or three years ago. But around July last year, we actually changed our name and our, and our sort of entity. So we're now Headlight. So Southern Wellbeing Trust is no more, but Headlight is our name. And we really like the name. It really reflects the sort of positive focus on uplifting mental health in our community. And it's just really sticky, what I say, because people can remember it. Absolutely. So what were some of the challenges you faced when you were starting the charity, Anna? Wow, where do you start? Gosh, I mean, you know, you, I think I think a lot of people at that time did bring into action to do something. You know, there was a lot of activity with the local community trying to come up with solutions to help ourselves. I hadn't worked in leadership before. I'd been working in marketing and communication. So I had to learn how to be a leader, how to run a team, how to get funding, how to manage the operational side of a team. There's so much to running a charity that people don't see. And it's incredibly hard because often when you do get funding, it's for projects, but actually the operational foundations are incredibly important. You have to pay your bills. You need 
zero. <laughs> you need contracts, you need policies. So, you know, I had to learn pretty much from scratch all of that with my team. And, and luckily I had some amazing people on my journey with me and amazing mentors and board members. And they, I leaned on those people. So I don't think I would have had the confidence three years ago to step into a role of a CEO, but somewhere along the journey, I've done that. And it has been a journey. But I also say to people, when you start this journey, you know, you never know where it's going to take you, but you could go and pay and study, say, at, you know, Polytech or uni to learn how to be a leader of an NGO, or you could just do it. <laughs> so I just did it. <laughs> and in a way, it means you kind of cut your teeth on it and you just get stuck in. And now I've got, you know, three years experience of leading an NGO behind me and it has not been easy, 100%. It has not been. But I believe that with good people and a clear vision and, and we're doing something different. So I know that. And, the, and the, the feedback from the community has been really positive. So how does Headlight approach community involvement differently, especially in a place that's really diverse like Queenstown compared to other mental health initiatives? That's a really important question. When we started this journey, we could see that a lot of our population were needing support to talk about mental health, but there was a lot of barriers to accessing support and accessing this knowledge. So at the moment in the rural and remote communities, we do have a program called Blueprint 101, which is very good. And it comes and pops in and, you know, once every six months, someone might come and do a training. But they're often happen, they happen during the week, they're a whole day. And often that is attended by agency staff. So the rest of our community miss out. You know, we don't make it accessible to migrants who speak English as a second language. We don't run it in the evenings. We don't run it at the weekends. Now, this is what I say we. I mean, you know, the infrastructure that has been set up. So our approach was community-led, which is, look, what do our community need to engage with this really important education? So we made it accessible. We trained facilitators who were from those communities, Filipino communities, Brazilian communities, Spanish-speaking communities. They can connect to their people in a very different way than someone flying in from Wellington. And I'm going to be blunt with you. And they open doorways and they help people gather. So that was a simple way that we did it, but it was incredibly effective. And we learned very quickly that the best way to engage with a diverse community is to use people from those communities to be part of your, your team who are passionate about what you're doing. And a lot of our people here have got lived experience of mental distress. And, and some of them are happy to talk about it. And that's what our team does. We are not clinically trained. We're not psychiatrists. We're people who care about mental health, but have managed to access education that we can bring to our community in a way that makes it accessible for them and that they can engage with. And we create safe spaces and times and locations that suit our community. So we're filling that gap. And that's what we've learned. And we've done it for now for, you know, I said three years. And nearly 500 people have gone through the training as a result of that. That's a lot of our community. This is people who would not have accessed this, this type of training otherwise. But what we've learned is no one else has done this. So our community, I hope you, you know, they realize this is really unique for Queenstown Lakes. And we're really proud of what we've done because it meant we could fill a gap. But also by doing that, we've learned how to do that. And so now our journey is to share that learning and, and make this more available. One of the feedbacks that we had when we started running these workshops was there was a lot of fear from some of our migrant communities that they said, if we come to a workshop about mental health, someone will hear that we've been there and then they'll tell immigration and we'll be kicked out. I mean, that was a fear that was real. It wasn't true, but it stopped people coming. And 
Having someone who really can connect to their community and build a safe space is really important. So we really have learned that our team is incredibly valuable to help us do this work. And we really value their connections with their community. Um, but it's not just migrants that we work with. We also work with parenting experts who know what it's like to go through the challenges of um, of maternal mental distress. And, you know, again, they can create really safe spaces to talk about that and just help the community to, to feel that they can talk and feel heard and do that in a really comfortable, safe space. Could you share some of these success stories or key milestones that Headlight has achieved in improving mental health in the community? Yes. I guess a key milestone for us, we've hit 50 workshops. That's a lot of workshops. That's a lot of learning. And as I said, we've had nearly 500 people through. So some of those workshops, you do your math, you'll see, oh, there wasn't many at some of those. And in the early days, that's what we learned. It was, some of them weren't well attended. And we had what's going on here. So we've learned by doing this work. But 50 workshops has given us a good foundation to to lean on now in terms of, of, of data and knowledge. We've had 17 facilitators trained in our community. And some of those have left our community, but we've still been able to give them this knowledge that they've taken forward into their different roles. So that's really valuable too, we think. Another milestone was I've been asked to speak now, and I have spoken at two international mental health conferences about our work, which is amazing that we're a small Queenstown team, yet the international mental health community are interested in what we're doing and see it as a really good example of effective community-based mental health and wellbeing promotion. So... We're excited to see how other communities outside of Queenstown are noticing what we're doing and wanting to learn from it and work with us to do that. And success stories, you've heard from people who've taken what they've learned in workshops and taken it out to the community? Absolutely. So we published an evaluation report in February last year that highlighted some of those testimonials from people. Some of them are quite hard to hear. There's a lot of mental distress that doesn't get shared publicly and so when we do ask people about their feedback they often will share with us but we've had comments such as people saying that uh, the workshop helped them understand what others around them were going through who'd experienced some crisis events which changed their ability to connect and support them that's really important and that's one of the outcomes for this work it's not just learning about mental health for yourself but it's just as important as you learn how to support others around you who are going through tough times or affected by mental illness. And so as a community, our efforts are building a more connected, cohesive community that can support each other well before we get end up in the GP route. Because for a lot of people, they might not get there till quite far in their journey. So the work we're doing now, as you said, the success stories are we're helping people help each other earlier on in their journey so they can be supported to get help And it's a lot easier helping someone when they're early in their journey of mental distress and when they're far down the track. Some other stories we've had of people who have diagnosed their own conditions in the workshop and realised they could see themselves in in some of the discussion and realised they needed to get help. And also other people who have had family members who they've been able to help directly as a result of doing the workshop. So without going into specifics, you know, we have a lot of these stories and we are careful about how we share them, but we want people to know the value of what we're doing and, and see. Speaking of value, you've developed a toolkit for businesses to support mental health at work during Mental Health Awareness Week. So what's in the toolkit and how can they give back to local mental wellbeing initiatives? So the toolkit is a simple PDF that you download from our website that has a few ideas for workplaces that we've tried to make really easy and you know we know we're all busy we're all staff doing so much anyway 
But for those workplaces that are interested in being involved in this important week, we, our job at Headlight, we thought, let's make it easy for businesses to get involved. And we structured the workplace kit around five ways to well-being and given ideas for each day for different ways you may choose to get involved. And you may just choose one for the whole week. Our team is going to have a lunch where we're all going to bring a plate that means something to us. And we thought that was a really great way of building connection, a way of sharing something from your culture, from your past, from your story, and then talking about that at the shared lunch. Now, that's a really easy way to build connection in the team, support the well-being of the team. And connection is one of the five ways to well-being, connect. So that's an example, super easy. And it's not rocket science. But this toolkit is just our gift to the community to help them talk about mental health, think about mental well-being, and see how their everyday activities are supporting their mental well-being. And so also we have weaved in some fundraising ideas in there as well, because we still as a charitable trust are working incredibly hard just to just to keep moving forward. And so any support the community can give back to us to continue this work is hugely appreciated. So if people want to get some more information or get involved with Headlight, what is the best way to get in touch, Anna? Well, there's different ways you can get in touch. We have a website, which is headlight.org.nz. We have Facebook page, you can message us, and LinkedIn and Instagram. Headlight Trust is our handle. Yeah, so that's probably the easiest way, and we'd love to hear from you. We do get lots of interesting queries from the community, and yeah, please do get in touch. We're really keen to talk to people who are interested in mental health promotion, mental health education, or just want to talk further. Thank you very much for the work you're doing in the community. It's fantastic that you took this initiative. Three years down the track, you're still going, and I wish you all the very best, and thank you for chatting today. Thank you, Brent. It's been a pleasure. Download the Queenstown app from the App Store or Google Play. Thanks for listening to The Outlet, your local interview podcast for Queenstown. Now, if you have a story or an interview you think should be featured on The Outlet podcast, get in touch by using the contact button on your Queenstown app. The Outlet is produced and published by the Queenstown app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. All episodes of The Outlet are available on the podcast button of your Queenstown app and wherever you get your podcasts.